This Powerhouse Politics podcast is brought to you by Lidocare Pain Relief Patches, designed for an active life, targeting pain so you can take back control of your day, providing up to eight hours of localized pain relief without a prescription, and now available over the counter. Hello and welcome to the Powerhouse Politics podcast from ABC News. I'm Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC Political Director Rick Klein. Now, before we get started, I want to remind you that you can subscribe to our show on iTunes and please rate us and leave us a review. At least if you like the podcast, leave us a review. Even if you don't, that's okay, too. You can find us on Stitcher and you can also check us out at abcnewspodcast.com. Uh, did I have that right? abcnewspodcast.com, right? Is that right? I, I think, think it's it right. is. Right. abcnewspodcast.com. Okay, so let's get right to it. We've got a big show today. The primary season is finally over with with apologies to the District of Columbia. Hey, hey. We, we know you still get to vote on Tuesday. How is it that D.C. gets dead last? I mean, first, we don't give them a voting uh, representative in Congress, no electoral representation in the uh, Electoral College, and, and, and they even in the primaries last? It's very sad. It's very sad. But, you know, they, they at least get to get to go to the polls proud of the fact that uh, they got close to counting because it ended almost <laughs> almost... almost they almost, almost closer than ever, closer than ever. What a, it's a, this is a week of history. First of all, we should say Hillary Clinton going over the top, clinching the nomination. She'll be the first female nominee of either party. And you could sense, John, that she gets the history, right? I mean, th- th- she's leaning into it. It's a striking difference from eight years ago when she almost didn't want to mention the fact that she was the first female candidate like this. Now she is owning it and linking herself to that history, but she's still dealing with this Bernie guy. Yeah, and actually, I am coming to you right now from the White House uh, where this is the day. This is the Bernie Sanders meeting with Barack Obama day. The White House has made it abundantly clear to everybody that the president is going to be endorsing and endorsing soon, and there's no secret about who he's going to be in endorsing and there's no secret uh, that in as far as the White House is concerned that this primary is over that Hillary Clinton is the presumptive nominee but Bernie Sanders is not going yet he's not and, and I think there's a sense John that he believes truly that he's been wronged in this and whether that means he truly believes that he can still win is another story because that's what he's looking at right now. There's no other voting going on. There's nothing else to campaign for after D.C. next Tuesday. What do you do other than try to win over superdelegates? That's the only thing you have left, and that is such a, a, an, an, an enormous—it's an impossible task. And th- that's the case that the president is making to him. That's the case that Hillary surrogates are making to him, uh, even some of his own— uh, in Dorsey's, there's people that have supported him. His own superdelegates are saying uh, that he needs to see the writing on the wall that Hillary Clinton will be the nominee. But this appears to be a bit of a process for Bernie. And, you know, frankly, that there's something that borders on hypocritical when it comes to talking about waiting for the superdelegates, convincing the superdelegates uh, to push him over the top uh, to, to, to bring Hillary Clinton down. Because, you know, it was Bernie Sanders and his team and his supporters who throughout the course of this primary have said that those superdelegates are, you know, essentially anti-democratic. Uh, these are party VIPs. They get to vote however the heck they want, regardless of how the people in their states or districts vote. And, you know, now uh, Bernie Sanders is facing a situation where Hillary Clinton has nearly four million more actual votes during the primaries, uh, has more 
pledge delegates, you know, the regular old delegates that you get by winning states. She's won more states, 28 to 22. Uh, she's won more of everything. By every single measure, she is the victor. Yeah, there's no way you can count this and, and, and come up with math that says that Bernie Sanders wins this. You may have had a gripe early in the process about all those superdelegates. But here's the question for, for Bernie Sanders. Uh, it was described quite colorful, colorfully for me by a Democratic operative the other day. He said, look, you know, Bernie, Bernie has earned a seat at the big boys' table. Now, does he want to tear off the tablecloth and break all the, the china? The big girls' table. Sorry, sorry. That's, see, this is, see, how on PC I have to yes. adjust to these times. Thank you. The big boys' and girls' table. Does he, want to, does he want to break all the china on the table? Or does he want to sit down? and order a new dish for the folks who are sitting there, because that's what the opportunity that he has here. He still might want to break everything, but I'm leaning toward the new dish. I'm leaning toward him saying he got further than he ever thought he would. He has led a genuine movement. Something real has happened in this country. He can play this into some concessions in the Democratic platform, some concessions in the agenda, and an enormously outsized role in the United States Senate. I think he will rival Elizabeth Warren in the United States Senate as a voice for liberals going forward in the next presidency, whether that's a President Trump or a President Clinton. He is going to be so much bigger than he ever has in the past, and I think he can leverage that to actually getting things done as opposed to burning everything down. Well, there's no question because he said it. We know this, and and Bernie tends to 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 mean what he says. He he will do whatever he can to prevent Donald Trump from winning in November. Uh, he wants to have a voice in this party, though. He he he, you know, led this movement, and it was a movement. And I, and I just ticked through all the, you know, rather dramatic ways Hillary Clinton has actually won this thing. But nobody expected it would be as close as it was. Nobody expected that Bernie Sanders would do what he did, uh, energize a whole you know, section of this Democratic electorate, bring new people in, uh, become the overwhelming choice of young voters, young Democrats, young progressives, young independents. Uh, he doesn't want to just you know, do this to uh, elect a, uh, you know, another Democratic leader that's going to be pro-free trade, pro-entitlement reform. He wants to change the face of the Democratic Party, which uh, there's a lot of evidence that the, that the actual voters, even though he didn't win, that the center of that party is, is very much in the progressive mold of, of where Bernie Sanders is. That's right. And, and I think that, that ultimately is where he gets. He just needs some time to process that, I, I would assume. And there's been voices in his ear in high-ranking parts of the campaign that have pushed him in different directions. And Bernie himself is a famously stubborn guy, much like I would say Donald Trump uh, in terms of stubbornness. But Speaking of which. Speaking of which, what a week for him, John. Is this the week where the tide turned against him inside the party? Well, you know, we we came out with our uh, race ratings, a, a look at the uh, where things stand in terms of the key states. Uh, so ABC News has gone through, and, and, and Rick, you led this effort uh, to, to look at, at, at all 50 states, try to assess which ones are strongly d- Democrat, strongly Republican, leaning Democrat, leaning Republican, and toss-ups. And others have done this, other news organizations, but what, what we found – is that even taking a very you know conservative look at, at where the states uh, uh, stack up, that Hillary Clinton comes into this race with favored to win 266 electoral votes even before we start. That's right, before the game even begins, and that's why Donald Trump needs to. change And Donald the Trump's map. 191, 191. That's right. He needs to change the map. Uh, it, it, he has to hold on. It's a, as you know, an absolute must. And as you you 
you pointed out on GMA, just holding the Romney states doesn't do you nearly enough good. He's got to he's got to hold on to that coalition. But it's inside that coalition that you saw real fissures. Now we have said, John, for a year, is this the controversy that ends Donald Trump? Is this the controversy that ends Donald Trump? We've been wrong about every single one of them. But a week ago now. He went out and said that the judge, who is of Mexican descent, although born a United States citizen in Indiana, was incapable of being an impartial uh, judge on his case in California on Trump U because of his heritage, because he said he's Mexican. And just by definition, he has stuck by that. He has doubled down on it. And he has seen the Republican Party flee from him as a result of it. Paul Ryan, the House Speaker, saying it is the textbook definition of a racist comment. Senators saying that they are essentially unendorsing him, anti-endorsing him as a result. Uh, and we're seeing— Not Paul Ryan, though. Not it's Paul interesting. Ryan. So how do you come out and you say— uh, that, that, that he has said something that is textbook racism and still say, but that's my candidate for president. What, what, what do you – I mean what's your read? What, what would it take for Paul Ryan to say, you know what? I take back my endorsement. If he insults Jack Kemp and says he was overrated, that might be it. <laughs> as a quarterback? Paul Ryan, as a, as it doesn't matter. Congress, Jack, anything. A, uh... Anything. Just, the, just the, the name Jack Kemp. I, I, I think – Paul Ryan made a calculation that the endorsement was inevitable and that that gave him freedom to push an agenda. If that calculation uh, holds, uh, it has not been true so far. He's been wrong about that so far. If it, it holds throughout, then he'll have impressed everybody. He's, he's a guy that operates on a few different levels, as you know. He thinks deeply about policy. He also is a savvy political operator. Right now, I can't imagine that he doesn't regret the timing of that announcement, but he's stuck with it. Uh, and many Republicans are stuck with it. Uh, and the fact that they can't determine another way forward um, speaks to the, the larger split inside the party and why this, this might be the kind of controversy that a Republican Party may not be able to recover from. All right, we've got to pause for a quick break here. Coming up, we'll talk with Bill Kristol asking about the efforts to block Donald Trump. Back to powerhouse politics after this. There's a new answer for people in need of serious pain relief. Lidocare has created a one-of-a-kind pain relief patch that blocks pain for up to eight hours. With the only non-water-based lidocaine patch on the market, Lidocare uses patent-pending technology to desensitize aggravated nerves for an odor-free, ultra-flexible, dry and light solution to pain. The Lidocare Pain Patch, from the makers of Blue Emu, for long-lasting relief you can wear. Available at Walgreens and CVS. Hey, it's Rick Klein. Before we talk with Bill Crystal, I just want you to let you know, ABC News has a whole slate of podcasts you can listen to covering a whole bunch of topics. You can find them all at abcnewspodcast.com. So head over there, check them out, let us know what you think. Okay, now back to the show. On uh, the podcast, just shortly, we're going to be talking to Bill Crystal, the, uh, of course, editor of the Weekly Standard, uh, who has been leading the Never Trump movement and trying so desperately to get a, uh, a, a third-party candidate into this or an independent candidate uh, to, uh, to be a place that conservative voters, that Republican voters who simply are not with Trump can, can vote. And we're also going to talk, I'm looking forward to this, uh, to our friend Alex Conant, who was with the Marco Rubio campaign. And, uh, you and know, learned some lessons, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, where, where, where are those folks? We heard uh, from John Kasich earlier today, uh, uh, you know, first interview in a while on Fox, making it clear that, you know, he's nowhere near endorsing Donald Trump. And you remember, he signed that pledge. You remember that pledge? I do remember raising those hand raising <laughs> that happened yeah. uh, early in the debate process. And remember, the convention is in ho- is in home state of Ohio. Uh, so it, he's it, saying that he could go to the convention and still not support 
uh, his party's nominee. Yeah, good luck with that. I mean, look, this is tying Republicans in knots, and it's getting late for this sort of thing. And, and you know, more broadly, Donald Trump had a five-week head start on Hillary Clinton. He has squandered that time. What has he done in the last five weeks that's moved him closer to the presidency? Can you name anything that he's done that's gotten him in that direction? Why don't we ask our guest? Uh, we, we have on the line here Bill Crystal with the Weekly Standard. Bill, what do you say? Uh, good to be with you. I, I, I'm with like you. really desperately searching. I would say indefatigably searching or, you know, nobly searching or, uh, I don't know, uh, impressively searching for <laughs> an alternative to Trump and Hillary. But um, there is an aspect. I would agree there is a slight aspect of desperation to it, but it's getting a bit late to get on the ballot. But I'm struck just uh, this is the convention, which I sort of had assumed it wasn't going to be a problem for Trump. Now, I mean, I'm amazed how many serious people in Washington, Republicans, uh, elected officials, are talking about the possibility of trying to free up delegates to vote their conscience. I mean, I, I gather there was a meeting of the Senate, the Senate Republicans have lunch, you know, I guess Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And I gather, and maybe you guys reported on this, that at the Wednesday lunch, there was just every, you know, ton of Senate Republicans stood up and said, we are, you know, what, are, what is happening to us? Uh, did we make a mistake signing on? Everyone said we could kind of... The safer thing to do is to grudgingly, tepidly endorse Trump. He had Paul Manafort. He's coming back. You know, he's going to be more reasonable now. He's going to change. He's going to become presidential. And they seem to be just one step from sort of saying this has been a disaster and, and uh, you know, filing for divorce. Now, what that looks like, the divorce, is an interesting question. But I, I'm struck. I Obviously, I, I have a uh, maybe the wish is farther to the thought here. But I, I think it's a little... Trump's hold on the party is more tenuous than, than I certainly would have thought a week ago. And, you know, we saw what uh, an unendorsement looks like with, at least in one case, uh, uh, Senator Mark Kirk of, of Illinois coming out. And, you know, he had previously said he would support the party nominee, support Trump. And now he's saying he's he's unendorsing. There's no way he could support him. Now it's Mark Kirk. Uh, he's from Illinois. He's the single most vulnerable uh, Republican up for reelection in the Senate. But, you know, what 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 about the others? What? What is your read? You know Paul Ryan well. You've known him, you know, for ages. What What is your sense? What would it take Paul Ryan? We were just discussing. He's already said that what Trump said about the judge was textbook racism. What would it take for Paul Ryan to unendorse? Well, that is the question. You know, I don't know. I mean, I I, I hope it would take him going to sleep one night and really waking up and thinking, what, what? Why am I doing this? I mean, what is the great benefit? Is it really uniting the party? Is it really providing cover? my members? Is it even laughable? Isn't it laughable now to say that we're going to advance a serious conservative policy agenda with Donald Trump as the presidential candidate of the party? I think they've all just underestimated sort of the, the in a wishful way, I suppose, sort of how dominant Trump will be in terms of framing the Republican and conservative image for the next five months if he's sort of an uncontested Republican nominee. I mean, maybe, presumably will be the nominee of the actual Republican Party, but if there's another Republican candidate, Republican-type candidate, a Republican-independent Republican-type candidate running for president, at least as a way to sort of tell people, no, this this happened once, he won the nomination, but he, he got a minority of the vote in all the primaries when you add it all up, and it, it does give an opportunity to at least the Paul Ryans of the world to, to sort of liberate themselves and, and the party and the conservative movement that they've spent their life in uh, from, the, from Donald Trump. So I don't know whether this and other sort of mistake uh, is needed. I think the judge, you know, the Mexican judge, so to speak, comments uh, really was a big moment, though. I, uh, somehow, I'm not sure exactly why this, of all the things he said, I'm not sure it's that much more offensive than a million other things he said, but somehow it just, I guess because he's the nominee, 
because it's so crude and so much in his personal interest, it's not even like an, an ideological overstatement. You know, it's a civil lawsuit he's in, and he just trashes a judge for no reason at all. I mean, because of his ethnic heritage, which is sort of so fundamentally contrary to the American principle. Um, and incidentally, if, you think, if you're a conservative, one of the things you dislike the most about the last 20, 30 years in America is the rise of identity politics, people being judged by their ethnicity. This person should be on the Supreme Court because she's a Hispanic, for example. With Sonia Sotomayor, that was a big conservative criticism of some of the things that some of her supporters had said. And now suddenly it's the Republican presidential nominee who's saying that. Also the rule of law. Republicans have spent a lot of time, I think, legitimately complaining about President Obama, executive orders, undercutting the lack of respect for the rule of law, arbitrary big government. And suddenly Trump has no respect for the rule of law. Not suddenly, I mean predictably, but still. So I do think this this instance, I haven't quite gotten my head around this, I'm sure, but this instance just seems to have hit more of a nerve than some of the other case, cases where Trump is, has, uh, has said, Things. It's definitely brought a sharper reaction. Bill, it seems like there's two paths now, and I want to ask you about both of them. Two paths to block Donald Trump. One is, I call it the front door strategy, which is to, to beat him with a third-party candidate, a third-party conservative. Now, you've spent a lot of time talking to people on this, and you've had them one by one say no. You talked about Mitt Romney, you talked about Tom Coburn, Ben Sass, uh, David French. They've all ruled it out. Where does that stand? Who is left on your short list to potentially do this? Well, whoever volunteers is on my short list, as long as they're respectable people and would be better presidents than, than Hillary Clinton. And, but realistically, and is, there anyone, is there anyone left? Yeah, I think so. I, mean, I think Mitt Romney, for example, has a uh, big event in, in Park City this weekend with his donors and friends. And, you know, um, he's said pretty repeatedly that he isn't inclined to do it. But he's also made clear how appalled he is by the choice of Clinton and Trump, and especially as a Republican, by, by the fact that Trump is carrying the Republican banner. I've got to think that Mitt Romney, you know, there's some chance that he just wakes up and says, well, you know, I'm, I've got all the money I need. I've, I've done my duty. I've tried to become president of the United States. This would be something that would be a, a kind of a self-sacrifice, maybe, insofar as he, the odds of his winning would be slim, though not none, incidentally, you know. Um, so I wonder, someone like well, John Kasich, what he said this morning, what is the implication? He's a governor, two-term governor of Ohio. Uh, he ran for president this year. He thinks he should be president. He thinks Trump is not, shouldn't be president, judging from his comments. Why should he could get on 48 ballots? I mean, that, that's one thing I've learned going through this process. The ballot access, even the fundraising, a lot of that is less daunting. It's not, it's not easy, obviously, but it's a little less impossible than people think. I mean, I don't know if John Kasich and Susanna Martinez like launched an independent bid for the presidency. I'm not confident they couldn't win, you know. But they've all said no. So what, what do you do now? I mean, they, they, do, are you going to be in Park City or what's the? No, I'm not. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't invited. I think I'm going to be on this week on Sunday. Oh, so. well, that's better. That's I'm definitely better. I'll talk to some people who are in Park City, as I'm sure. So people are going to be going up to him saying, "Mitt, you got to do this." There are some people going up to him and saying, "I mean, I don't know if you say to a you know man like Mitt Romney, you've got to do this." Mr. Romney, there are people going up to him and saying, Governor. "Why don't you rethink doing this?" Look, Stuart Stevens, who ran Mitt's campaign in 2012, was in these meetings. I wasn't. I was out of the country, actually, with with David French over the last week. And so there are people close to Mitt who have really looked at the third party, the independent race, and don't think it's at all infeasible. So on the other, the the, the idea of, of kind of taking this away at the convention. Uh, and and I, I, you're absolutely right. There, there's surprisingly a new talk of this. I thought we were kind of beyond this. Uh, but I mean, do, do we really think that that is in any way viable, given 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 how he won? I mean, this wasn't even like a close. I mean, he 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 trounced the competition. You know, I uh, 
I would have said no, and I was focused out very much on the independent race a week ago, and I still haven't quite sort of, you know, re-educated myself on the convention possibilities. We all were interested in the contested convention a month ago, and then everyone got out, and you figured, okay, but, uh, you know, there are sort of ways it could happen. There was a, I know I wasn't on it, but a big conference call last night of a bunch of people who want to resist Trump, some of whom were delegates to the convention, talking about what they could do. I think the key is this, though, just practically in the short, medium term, is your right to be obviously skeptical about either of them, and not just your right. I mean, one, one should be skeptical that either of these things will happen. I think they're long shots, not impossible shots. But the, for me, the key is someone who has endorsed Trump has to defect. And Mark Kirk has done so, but he's maybe not quite big enough, and he's one of the most liberal Republican senators in an endangered seat, so it looks like I mean, it's unfair, maybe, but it looks like he's doing this for political survival. But, I mean, no. think of this. If Paul Ryan did just say two days ago, you know what, I endorsed him. He had told me he was going to uh, moderate and change his ways. Maybe I was just too credulous. I just don't believe at this point I can uh, sustain that endorsement. I'm going to be Speaker of the House, and I'm, I'm withdrawing that endorsement. If John McCain said that, if Mitch McConnell said it, if others of that stature, if Marco Rubio said it, it would be huge. I think you'd have a cascade, and then I think everything opens up. So it's one of those cases, as is often the case in politics and in life sometimes, where, you know, it's, things can't happen until one key, uh, you know, rock gets pulled out of the, the mountainside or whatever, and then there's, a, you know, and then there's something of a, a landslide. And I, I really don't know if that will happen. I suppose you'd have to bet against it. But I, I don't think it's nearly as out of the question as I would have thought, you know, a few days ago. And in your mind... If that doesn't happen, what do conservatives need to do? If you don't have that person who's going to be on a whole bunch of ballots and potentially right. be a magnet, where, what, where do you do, what do you do to demonstrate, to park your support? What, what do you do with the rest of this if, Donald, if you're stuck with Trump? I mean, I think a lot of people talk about, you know, focusing on some key uh, town ballot races so you have some really good senators get reelected. I think you could do things also that prepare for the day after Election Day, a citizen's movement perhaps for a new conservatism. I, I would have said three, four months ago, Trump will lose probably, you know, people will be very unpleasant four or five months, and then you're back with the Republican Party. That's pretty impressive in many ways. A lot of good young governors, senators, congressmen, and so forth. That wasn't just a myth, you know, a year or two ago that, that, it's, that there were a lot of good things happening on the conservative side and the Republican side. I now wonder really whether the Republican Party itself though, doesn't get so tainted by Trump that you don't have to think about the possibility of a, a new party or a really radically somehow revised or reformed party. And this is not something I would have said a few months ago. I don't even know sort of what that means. Well, I know what it means. I don't know how you do that concretely. Obviously, it would have to be spontaneous in many ways. But I, don't, I would have, again, I would have said a few months ago, that's just kind of, you know, a one in a thousand chance. And now I think it's much more practical. I mean, I, I, in the sense that I just wonder, is any American under 35 going to be interested in the Republican Party after four or five months of Donald Trump being its its spokesman, it's, it's, it's actual nominee. I think people aren't thinking dynamically enough. Right now, it's sort of, gee, Trump's been kind of embarrassing, and, and now he's got another embarrassing thing he said. But, you know, we'll get beyond it, and we'll have a normal election campaign, and there'll be, you know, swing states and ads, and we'll all be doing pieces about Ohio and Virginia and all this. I don't know. Is it going to be normal, or are we going to have four or five months of Republican convention debates with Trump, you know, just playing these cards over and over? And what does it look like at the end of that? Yeah, and, and the problems with the Republican Party are, are not don't don't start or end with Trump. I mean, uh, remember the, uh, the essentially the runner up was was Ted Cruz, which is a very different vision of of the party than the one that you've offered in the past. Or, well, but or I Paul mean, look, Ryan, or, a party 
they're all parties have problems, and the Democrats incidentally have kind of pretty serious problems since Bernie Sanders got you know forty five percent of the vote in there right. on their side. I don't think that's a very personally a very credible vision for the future, but he's getting a lot of young voters. So what is who knows what that really means? But um, yeah, but I'd say look, the other uh, for me the other problems are all normal political problems. You know, there there are rifts in the party. Some of the smokes are more attractive than others. At the end of the day, you have a party that has, you know, controls the Senate, the House, what, 30 governorships, most state legislatures, uh, has a lot of young people elected in 2014, many of whom were quite impressive. You know, I, I don't think it, I think the rest of the problems are manageable or, let's say, normal problems. I think nominating Trump is not a normal thing. I mean, it just, when has it happened in, in American politics that one of the two major parties has nominated someone like that? So, so what, under the, let's just play the scenario out for, for a second, that, that basically the, you need to start over because the party's been so tainted, as, as you say, uh, by nominating Donald Trump. What what would happen under that scenario to to all those current Republican office holders? Many of whom, by the way, had you know did everything they could uh, to distance themselves yeah. from Trump. Well, I mean, we don't have a lot of history on this in America. We've had a pretty stable two party system for a century and a half. You know, most of the Republican members of Congress, I mean, don't hold me to this, I haven't done the research personally, but I believe it's something like this is true. Most of the Republican members of Congress in, I don't know, 1862, you know, under Lincoln, uh, and Lincoln himself, of course, had been weak members of Congress or weak members of state legislatures, right? right? It's not like, it's not like a party can't, you can't, you could have a new party that takes over a lot of the old party. You want to bring back the Whigs? Yeah, do you have a suggested name? I mean, Whig, 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 Whig's, Whig's available. New Whigs, I don't know. The Whigs were a pretty good party. The Federalists (laughs) before them were a good party, you know. The Federalists. I mean, it seems almost so fanciful, and you're right to kind of, you know, to, to talk about it, but I guess it seemed to me equally fanciful a year ago to think that Donald Trump would be the Republican nominee for president. Yes, no doubt. All right. Well, hey, Chris, uh, one, one last uh, question before you go, Bill. Um, w- w- what do you do when you go in the booth if you don't have, if you haven't convinced a, a uh, independent candidate to run? W- what do you do? Do you vote for Hillary Clinton? I mean, I would really prefer not to, and uh, but I really would want to see then how the campaign goes, I guess, and whether I felt some obligation to vote for one or the other, you know, but. My current inclination would be just to vote down ticket for the conservatives. And leave the presidential slot blank. Right. All right, Bill Crystal, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you on this week on Sunday. Great. See you Sunday. Bye. Well, I, that, that's interesting, uh, uh, don't you think, uh, Rick? The idea of kind of, you know, does, does, does the party itself get so tainted after a, uh, if, if we were to see a catastrophic uh, Trump loss in the fall, that, uh, that it's time to start over? I, you know, I'll tell you. I, I don't want to say who, but I've, I've spoken to a, a Republican member of the House who essentially says exactly that privately, hasn't come out to say it publicly, but but just looks at the party and says, you know what, we, we, we probably need to start over. So disband the party, remake it in, out of the ashes of Donald Trump. I, I don't know that we're there yet, but as Bill Crystal said, maybe it's not in a total impossibility. And I'm struck now by him. He said it's getting toward desperation, slight aspect of desperation, I think is what he said. But there is going to be this last-ditch effort to try to get Mitt Romney and other prominent this voices. Weekend. Yeah, this weekend uh, to get them either to run or to lead a convention revolt. Uh, Lindsey Graham. I mean, you know, you, you got some. You know, he mentioned Kasich's name. Um, Mitch, he's McConnell. I don't. I don't think McConnell or Ryan are going to do it at this point. But yes, the, McConnell to, doesn't strike me as a revolutionary. I mean, <laughs> no, in demeanor. No, anyway. no, no, I, no, uh, no, no. All right, we got to pause for a quick break. Tell you about one of our other podcasts on the ABC News Podcast Network. Ten percent happier. 
I am a subscriber. It's hosted by ABC News correspondent Dan Harris. It's all about meditation. It might just make you a little bit happier, 10% happier even. Dan talks to giants of the meditation community as well as celebrities who use meditation and mindfulness in their daily lives. Again, that's the 10% Happier Podcast, and you can find it by going to abcnewspodcast.com or for searching for it on iTunes. And now, back to the show. We have somebody on the line here who uh, can probably you know, make sense of all this for us. Uh, we have our friend Alex Conan, uh, veteran of the Marco Rubio campaign, who has just launched his own consulting firm. And I think you're here with us. Alex, how are you? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. What's the new firm called? Firehouse Strategies. I started with Firehouse Strategies. Firehouse Strategies. That's right. Are you putting uh, out fires, or are you are you starting them? Well, hopefully, pre- hopefully preventing fires <laughs> in the first place. So, Alex, uh, is your party on fire? It's we've had better days. That's I'd say for sure. Uh, look, I mean, we had a very good election in 2014. I think 2016, as of now, is shaping up to be much more difficult because of the Trump phenomenon. And I think Trump is a unique uh, figure in America right now. I don't, I don't think that uh, we certainly haven't seen anything like him before in modern times, and I think it's unlikely we'll see anyone like him again in, in the future. But when he entered the race last summer as a famous businessman and celebrity, uh, nobody took him seriously in the media and the other campaigns and the party establishment. And I think he got a free ride until uh, it was too late to stop him. I, I think that's unlikely to ever happen again. So, so what's your sense on this? You, you, we just talked to Bill Crystal, and he, he acknowledged there's a sense of desperation with the uh, Never Trump folks that uh, they that they may simply uh, come up empty-handed in terms of trying to convince somebody to run as an independent. But we, you know, we still have one last-ditch effort to get Mitt Romney to to, uh, uh, to jump into this. There's talk of trying to get a revolt at the convention in in Cleveland this summer. Did you see? Is there is there any any glimmer of of any hope for the never trump crowd look i fully expect that donald trump is going to be our nominee uh he won uh he won the nomination fair and square during the primary campaigns and and the time to beat him was uh in february and march when uh, you had candidates like marco rubio running against him um that said six weeks is a long time in presidential politics as you guys know uh, there's going to be a lot that happens between now and Cleveland in terms of new poll numbers, which uh, I expect are going to show Hillary surging as she wins the nomination and, and Trump continuing to underperform as he has trouble uniting Republicans. Some fundraising reports later this month, and, and then I think there will be another report that's released right before the convention, uh, which should, could show a very, very ominous uh, picture for uh, Republicans uh, in terms of just resources. Okay, so Mr. Firehouse, uh, you've suddenly been hired by the Trump campaign. What would you do? Well, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a little uncomfortable giving the Trump campaign <laughs> advice, mostly because they haven't asked me for for advice. Uh, yeah, I think that they need to figure out their message and then stay on their message. And you know, I think when Trump spends day after day talking about Trump University and the judge and civil lawsuits. I don't think that is winning him any votes anywhere in the country. I think it's wildly off message. Uh, I think that they need, you know, I thought his speech on Tuesday night was actually pretty good uh, in New York. I mean, it was overshadowed by, by Clinton later that night. But I think that sort of approach where he's talking about the economy, he's talking about jobs, 
He's talking about what sort of president he would be. I think that's the right approach. Look, we've shifted from a different phase of the campaign. Last summer, everyone looked at Trump as a businessman and as a celebrity, as I said. Now they're looking at him as a potential president. And we don't know a whole lot about what a Trump presidency would look like because he hasn't talked much about his agenda. He hasn't talked much about policy. I think there's going to be a race in the coming weeks between the Clinton campaign and the Trump campaign to define what a Trump presidency looks like. If Trump loses that, if Clinton's able to define what a Trump presidency is before he is, that just makes the problems facing his candidacy even worse as we head into the into Cleveland. Alex, when you when you look at this rather remarkable year, are there moments you're looking back and say, we should have seen this coming? We should have recognized that this was for real? Are you kicking yourself, you and your colleagues at, at, at Rubio or other campaigns saying, you know, in, in retrospect, in hindsight, if we had done this, it might have had a different outcome? Well, I think if there had been a general recognition last summer, not just by our campaign, but by all of the campaigns, that if that that, that people view Trump as a successful businessman and an outsider. And unless you change their opinion of him, they're going to keep believing what they already believe. And last summer, everyone just gave him a free pass because we thought, you know, I worked on Tim Plenty's campaign four years ago, and I remember Michelle Bachman and Herman Cain and even Rick Perry having very good summers. But then they eventually faded as voters took them more seriously and the campaign entered a different phase. I fully expected the same thing would happen to Trump last summer. And that didn't happen, in part because he never got the sort of critical vetting from the other campaigns and from the media that Michelle Bachman did or Rick Perry did four years ago. Uh, so, you know, I, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I wish as a whole, as a collective, we had recognized that Trump was likely to be the nominee and was a serious candidate and had treated him accordingly. That said, I don't think that there's anything, any specific thing that our campaign, the Rubio campaign, could have done to slow Donald Trump last summer or last fall, simply because Marco didn't have the sort of name ID, the sort of resources that he needed, that we would have needed to successfully prosecute the case against Trump over the long term. And I think to the extent that we would have done any damage to Trump, it certainly would not have accrued to our benefit. And I think every campaign, frankly, made the same calculation. And that's part of the reason why he got a free pass last summer. He certainly benefited from a 17-person field um, as opposed to if it had been a two-person field, I think uh, he probably could have defeated. Okay, so before you go, uh, uh, just a couple of very quick like, yes or no type things. First of all, any chance whatsoever that Marco Rubio runs for re-election for the Senate? Well, he said that he's not going to run for re-election. I know he's I know. helping raise money for uh, lieutenant governor for, for the lieutenant governor down there, and looking forward to being a private citizen. So. I certainly uh, expect that, uh, that 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 hasn't changed. Okay, so that was definitely not an answer to my question, uh, Mr. Conan. Uh, <laughs> I said, is there getting any, the fi- we're getting any, the fire hoses out? Yeah, Whatsoever I mean, that he does it, is there any scenario? Could you could you see any? Is is there? Give, give me a percentage chance. Is it zero, or is there like a one or two percent I, chance? I, I Marco has said he's not running for re-election, and I have no reason to think that that is not uh, that that is not uh, the case. Alex has still got it. He still, he still does. Yeah, you can yeah, see yeah. him at the podium, <laughs> couldn't you? Easily. Um, and and is there, uh, first of all, in, in any scenario that, that Rubio ends up as a running mate for Donald Trump? I don't think there's any scenario for that. I so mean, you look, got an answer on that one? That's hard. Look, Marco, has, we, Marco has serious policy differences with Donald Trump. And, you know, we made those clear during the campaign, and those haven't, those haven't changed. And I think Trump should pick somebody who agrees with him on policy. I think 
Uh, and frankly, somebody who wants to be his vice president, somebody who wants to be his running mate, I, oh. I mean, that's who he should pick. So, Well, there we go. So now we got to my last question. Who should Donald Trump pick as his running mate? I, I mean, you, I don't you, know. You, you I, can I, give he, me two or three names. You don't have to give me one name. You can give me two or three. Yeah, give me look, the, the Conan shortlist for Trump. He should pick somebody who's a next-generation conservative, who offers serious policy ideas for the future, who can bring more people into the Republican Party. Sounds like Rubio. So, so, well, those, yeah, I mean, somebody like Rubio. You know, and there's a lot of people in our party. Nikki Haley, Governor. Uh, uh, yeah, he said no to Nikki Haley. Okay, so we'll take that. Uh, Nikki Haley, Tom, Tom, uh, 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 Tom Cotton, uh, Senator Scott. I mean, there's a lot of really, really strong next-generation conservatives. I don't think any of them are going to be his running mate. I think we're much more likely to end up with a Newt Gingrich or a Chris Christie, somebody who you know, clearly wants to be his running mate. Uh, and frankly, he should pick somebody who wants to be his running mate. He shouldn't have to try to convince somebody who's uh, ambivalent about his candidacy to, uh, to share the stage with him. All right. Alex Conant, thank you very much for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Thanks, guys. appreciate it. So Rick, uh, there you go. It's 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 great to. I mean, Alex does does have it, but but you you heard the uh, the two different answers there, right? Yeah, I, uh, I did. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and the other thing is, I, Alex said hindsight's twenty twenty. It actually isn't in this case, right? I mean, hindsight is like twenty a thousand. We still don't know what happened, and I and I don't think even now you can look back and say this is what could have stopped Donald Trump. And and looking forward, this is what could stop Donald Trump. The fact that we're sitting here. Five weeks after he essentially wrapped up the nomination, became the presumptive Republican nominee, and we're still talking about ways to replace him on the ticket, to defeat him um, with a conservative who might potentially throw the Electoral College into chaos. That tells you that the Republican Party has not come to terms and may never come to terms with what Donald Trump has done to the Republican Party. And let's not forget that Donald Trump went up against what was arguably the strongest Republican primary field since 1980. And he not only won, but he won with more votes than we have ever seen anybody in the history of the Republican Party get during a primary. So this was not a close race. He trounced them. He dominated really from day one. Uh, he led in the polls. He went in. He won the big states. He, he did it all. So this was not like uh, some kind of a he eked this thing out. This was a decisive historic victory in the Republican Party. The Republican voters uh, certainly didn't seem divided, even as uh, the Republican leadership uh, seems in- intensely divided. But- Which is the argument that Paul Ryan is talking about now. He's saying he won fair and square, and therefore he is the leader of the Republican Party. They have no choice. And I, I just I don't see the Bill Crystal scenario, the, the long shots happening. I mean, the the idea, sure, there there could be someone prominent who comes out and stands up, but even that, I don't think that is going to force the kind of cascade you'd need to make a legitimate third party candidacy for real. First of all, they don't even have the person; they don't have the mechanism for it. The idea of replacing him on the ballot convention would require a rules change that would be ratified by the Trump delegates themselves. We're talking about something that is utterly without precedent in American politics. The, the kind of crazy scenarios that it would take to block uh, Donald Trump. Uh, so you're I, saying there's a chance. I'm, all right. So um, <laughs> I'm going to be uh, totally clear on that point. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. That's it for this week's edition of Powerhouse Politics. Please take a moment to rate the show on iTunes and write us a review. Uh, I prefer if you like us, but write us a review no matter what. Tell us what you think. And if you like the podcast, tell your friends about us. You can send us questions via Twitter, hashtag Powerhouse Politics. Uh, and don't forget... 
to check us out and all the other uh, ABC News podcasts, but especially ours on abcnewspodcast.com. For Rick Klein, I'm ABC's Jonathan Carl. We'll talk to you again next week. This Powerhouse Politics podcast is brought to you by Lidocare Pain Relief Patches. Try Lidocare. Your resolution for on-the-spot pain relief is now available over the counter. With 4% lidocaine in every patch, enjoy the maximum amount of pain relief without a prescription. Lidocare. Relief for you and your wallet.